My guest today is Stefania Olafsovic. Stefania is the CEO and co-founder of Avo, a next-generation analytics governance platform, helping product managers, developers, and data teams plan, track, and govern their product analytics. Prior to co-founding Avo, Stefania studied abstract math and statistics, and she was in charge of data science, then revenue management for QuizUp, a trivia game that had over 100 million players. Stefania, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Great. Uh, so maybe you can start at the beginning. So, so you studied abstract maths and statistics at the University of Iceland. What initially attracted you to this universe and what were your initial plans for your career? Starting with the easy questions. Yeah, so, always. Uh, <laughs> so I guess, you know, to make it um, fully accurate, I actually studied mathematics and philosophy. Oh, okay. Um, and so that's also abstract, pretty abstract. <laughs> um, I my favorite subjects when I was a kid in school uh, were, I think, mathematics and sort of like, um, uh, like it's I don't know what to call it in in English. It's like the everything around like sentence structures and systems and okay. grammar and the Icelandic grammar and like in the Icelandic um, language. Those are my two favorite subjects, um, and I think that sort of speaks a little bit to um, my appreciation of of systems um, and sort of wanting to understand why things are the way they are and sort of liking when 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 things have a system and a reason for why they are the way they are. Um, and then when I was um, in high school, I guess you would call it, um, uh, I ended up focusing on philosophy and um uh, and that sort of was, I guess, a little bit coincidental because I took a philosophy course and I really liked the teacher, basically. Um, or at least my second in, in my second philosophy course, I really loved the the teacher. And the first one, I guess, I loved the you know thinking about everything part. <laughs> um, and then I had decided to study philosophy. Um, but when I was a kid, like I thought I would probably study something like engineering. Okay. Um, and my dad is an engineer as well, industrial engineer. And so there was this, I mean, it's so, everything is so coincidental. When I was um, there, the Icelandic university does this thing called the university day where you can, when you're still in high school, you can go and sort of check out some booths and like learn a little bit more about what you might want to study. And I was going to check out the philosophy, you know, booth, I guess you could call it. And dad was like, Seth, you should check out the engineering section. Like, you know, maybe you want to study engineering. And I was like, okay, fine, sure, I'll, I'll do that. And I walked over there and asked, like, what the hell is the difference between, like, industrial engineering, electrical engineering, like all of these different engineering sort of paths and I just asked the kids there, they were studying it and they were like, um, and I was just like, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. What type of engineering should I choose? And they really couldn't really answer the question. It was like, yeah, it's pretty similar. I don't, you know, I don't really know. Do you know? And they were just like asking each other. So I just sort of like gave that up and I was like, nah, no, I won't study that. On my way out after that, I literally stumbled upon the mathematics booth. <laughs> And was like, ah, yeah, you can study mathematics in the university. That would be interesting. 
And coincidentally, the person that was introducing that, he was uh, in my same high school, um, a a couple of years ahead of me. And so he told me a little bit about it and I ended up studying both. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's a coincidence. And what was the plan then? Like, what were you thinking that your, your adult life was going to be? Yeah, it's a great question. I was literally talking about this with a few people last week um, on a panel um, about sort of identity. Um, what do you identify as and all those things? And, um, you know, there are these people that have this really strong, uh, I don't know, opinions or, or beliefs about what they want to do, and uh, what they want to become when they grow up. And I was not one of those people. Um, that was not a part of my identity, knowing really strongly what I wanted to uh, focus on. Um, and um, so I think, you know, from my perspective, I have always been a very curious person. Um, and um mathematics and philosophy just studying that seemed fun you know um and that was it at that point in time there was a lot of pull at that when i was in university there was a lot of pull from like the banking and the financial industry um for mathematicians um they seek out mathematicians and sort of try to get them to to work in, in banks and financial institutions and stuff like that and I had no interest in that, just absolutely no interest in it. Um, I have always been very um, fond of sort of um, participating in, I guess, ed- education and knowledge sharing, and particularly sort of um, the upbringing of children um, independent of their parents. I think that's a really huge um, social you know, systems, you know, government issue type of thing. Yeah. Um, And so um, just, you know, I was thinking about that type of thing. I was also considering like um, starting a a, a residency slash hostel type of thing in Iceland for bands that would come to Iceland and play music. So it was like pretty diverse what I was considering doing. Um, at least it was not clearly data science, you know, that was yeah. not what I was sort of targeting or anything like that. Um, okay. and so then just life is filled with coincidences and you end up doing what you're doing. Absolutely. So you, you, I'm getting that you like the depth, you like the curious curiosity, um, and you didn't want to be in the banking industry or that, that aspect and attract you. So what initially attracted you to quiz up, uh, what did you know about startups or working for a startup at that point? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I finished my um, university studies of mathematics and philosophy, I ended up, um, well, first I ended up going and traveling around Australia for uh, half a year. That was really great. As one one does. And then um, from there, you know, when, you know, it was a couple of months until I was going home, I was like, okay, so, you know, I should maybe start thinking about what I should do. And I was thinking like, you know, is there anything related to philosophy and mathematics that one does <laughs> as a career? And that's a really vague thing. It's not like you study, you know, to become a dentist and then you just become a dentist. Um, and so um, what I looked towards at that point in time, just to stop there on the way to like the quiz up, you know, why did I, why was I attracted to quiz up? Um, I ended up looking at sort of a little bit more of the more established 
you know, quote unquote startups um, in Iceland that were at some point startups, you know, they were creating something cool and new, um, uh, like, you know, a company for prosthetic limbs um, yeah. and a company for, you know, innovation in like the food industry. Um, and then there was this company that was innovating a lot in genetics research called Decode Genetics. Um, and so I, I applied um, with these companies that were sort of creating something cool. Um, and so they had then been around for, you know, anywhere between like 10 and, and 15 or up to maybe 20, 30 uh, years. So not no longer a startup, but still creating something really cool. Mm, innovation. Um, innovation. Yeah, definitely. That sort of attracted me a little bit. And um, I got these job offers for these from these companies and ended up going into the genetics industry uh, or, or like jo joining Decode Genetics as a, um, I guess, a research associate. And so I joined the statistics department there and I was working with huge data sets within Decode uh, doing managing a lot of data engineering type of things that wasn't yeah. really called data engineering then it was yeah. like you know doing distributed computing but I was also helping doctors and biologists um, making sense of the data um, to find correlations between DNA and physical uh, DNA mutations and physical traits and so I'd been working with huge data sets and learning a lot there. I learned how to program, um, at, you know, at Decode, okay. um, although it probably never qualify as a software engineer, <laughs> but I learned what I needed to do to do my job there. Uh, got introduced to like Python and R and C++ and uh, Bash and like, you know, managing all sorts of stuff like that. And that's when a mobile game called QuizUp blew yes. up and reached a million users in their first five days, which was the fastest growing app in the app store at that time. Um, and there was a record that was held for a while until another mobile game called Flappy Bird, uh, which, <laughs> you know, I'm sure some folks that are listening remember that as well. Um, they later beat that record. But so I... I knew some of the people at QuizUp um, just personally um, and, you know, they were friendly, a friendly bunch of people. So I had been just hanging out with them, grabbing beers and stuff like that, um, just as friends. And then um, they were looking for someone to join as the first analyst to make sense of, you know, you know, where are these million people coming from why are they coming you know um how is this growing so fast why are you know some of the people coming again and again and again and why do some of them not return um and what's the difference between their experience or their traits um and it was so interesting because quiz have created a lot of value for um its users um so it was a mobile trivia game where people would compete in you know we had like thousands of of topics or categories of quizzes you know anywhere from like general knowledge to like um the pokemons or like a specific okay, yeah. you know the, the you know identify the flag you know something really specific like that and there were growing communities uh within all of those like people really bonded over okay, okay. like being obsessed over knowledge like that and so um 
when they asked me to join, I, I, I immediately identified like there are huge opportunities to both like, I mean, the data set behind this is really exciting. Um, we can do a lot of cool data science stuff with all of this data and like build recommendation algorithms and, and stuff like that. Um, but also, you know, I just already realized then, you know, how big of an opportunity this was in just like building something from scratch, building, you know, an analytics team or a data team from scratch. Um, and I thought that was a really exciting challenge that I um, felt like was just a fun next move. And like a quick side story into that, like um, before I actually joined QuizUp, this was like late 2013 or something like that. Mid-2013, um, I had actually started a um, sort of a PhD track. Um, okay. So I dropped that. I dropped out of that um, to join QuizUp. And I was just okay. like, you know, that, that PhD can wait. Um, I'm ready to build something really cool. This is a rocket ship and I want to join. I don't want to miss this opportunity. So I think like the people behind QuizUp and the, um, the opportunities for, you know, me to build a team and the opportunities to me to do something really cool with the data um, and work with really great people. I think all of those things sort of made it, compelling for me okay okay so the rocket ship is taking off there are there are, there's already millions of users so what are some of the challenges that that you face or your team faced at quiz up uh when it was blowing up internationally initially great question um i think you know for all you know obviously there are a lot of challenges in um just building the right things you know, um, you, all of a sudden you have something that just blows up like that. And um, then the next step is like, okay, can we help it continue to blow up <laughs> and uh, ensure the product market fit? That's of course like uh, an important one. And then it's like, how do we monetize this? How do we make this a sustainable company? And then I think like the third uh, pillar for both of these first two pillars to work is like, how do we build a team um, uh, and scale the team to make sure we can, you know, find these things, find the product market fit and find the revenue model and make this a sustainable company. And so I think the challenges um, very early in a company like that, that goes through this kind of a rapid scaling um, in user base it typically means you have to also scale up the team behind it. Um, we had, um, like I was talking about, we had like 2000 or thousands of categories and just growing endlessly. But when I joined, I think it was somewhere around 2000 um, of, of topics. So behind that was a huge editorial team as well. Okay. So there were a lot of challenges in like just maintaining fresh content as well. So I think, but to sum it up, like, you know, the first, some of the first challenges of building something like this is making sure you hire the right people um, to do the right jobs and focus on the right things. And that's a, that's a huge challenge, especially when things grow this fast to keep everyone aligned. And from the, the data side, like, like as the data kept coming, the, the data set kept growing, you had to uh, kind of scale the way you learn from customers or scale the way you guys were able to collaborate on new features were some of the challenges that came up on that front? 
That's a great question. Um, so the data team journey is really interesting um, and maps very much onto what I'm doing today. Today, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Avo, and what you mentioned is an analytics governance platform, and it's built for product organizations, um, for product managers and data scientists and product engineers to collaborate and make sure we're measuring the product releases accurately um, and able to leverage that data to make decisions. And that is very much based on the data team learnings um, over at QuizApp. So we started off as a data team of one. That was me. <laughs> and then, you know, the problem basically from there was we needed to answer more questions faster. You know, everyone is trying to make um, decisions on their day-to-day job, like what to build next, what topic to release next. Um, just how did this feature, you know, roll out? Yeah. What's the success of that? Um, should we focus any more on that? Like, do we have any product innovation opportunities here? Is there anything hidden in the product that like uh, indicates that if we focus on this area, then, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, and so identifying all of those opportunities um, was a lot of work uh, because we didn't have all of the data we needed, first of all. Um, but even for the data that we had, it was pretty disjointed. And so I was, as a as a data team of one, I spent my time just hacking together a bunch of data sets from like, we had Mixpanel, we had the operational database data um, that literally runs the app. Um, we had like Flurry, we had Google Analytics, we had the App Store um, analytics um, and just all of those different data sets it's a, it was a, yeah. yeah, it was a lot of work to just pull the data together so that people, um, anyone could make any decision from it. So, um, and it could only be done by someone who could hack together data sets. So you had some, had to have some engineering capabilities, definitely. Um, and so to combat that, we hired more data people first and sort of scaled the data team a little bit. Um, but it still just kept growing as a problem. We still weren't answering questions fast enough. And so the next step in the journey, sort of stage two from sort of like a centralized data team that is able to answer questions um, is to unblock that bottleneck. The bottleneck is like, you know, decision-making is bottlenecked by the human throughput of a data scientist being able to hack together data sets and answer questions. And so we started to move further towards um, what is often called self-serve analytics. Um, and that means um, it's, a, it's a hot topic uh, and a lot of people just don't believe in it as a concept, um, okay. but I am a strong proponent of it, um, but it has its caveats. We still need analysts to like that obsess over, you know, the, the legitimacy of results and things like that. But self-serve analytics in its core means um, that people can look up the data they need for their day-to-day job um, as they need it. Some of the KPIs for their teams and things like that and are able to sort of evaluate uh, the success of a release or the success of a campaign or something like that. they might have to get an analyst and, or an expert, data expert, to sort of jump in to validate their assumptions or sort of look into whether the data is correct, just confirm and all those things. But the goal is to help people be able to be a little bit more self-sustainable in answering these questions, at least the early indicators of the re- results or the answers, and then sort of go to an expert to uh, look into like, what are some of the follow-up questions we need to ask before we can actually make this assumption and things like that. 
But the challenge there, even when, when we were at the stage two, self-serve analytics stage, we still had a major challenge around um, uh, data quality. So the bottleneck was like decision-making was bottlenecked by lack of data quality and lack of data literacy, I would say. And so we entered stage three where um, we created analytics governance. Um, so the data experts would support the product teams and making sure they were tracking the right uh, metrics for the releases and structuring the data correctly and logging everything correctly that they needed to log to be able to look in the, into the metrics. And then we basically created um, another bottleneck in stage three, which is um, product releases were bottlenecked by analytics governance. So, you know, for every single product release we were releasing, the product teams had to go through the data team and get confirmation that they would have the right metrics and all those things. Um, and then sort of the fourth stage was really something closer to like a self-serve analytics governance to support self-serve analytics. And um, over these three, four years of the quiz years, we built all of these tools and processes to enable that, enable self-serve analytics and enable self-serve analytics governance. And all of those tools um, took a lot of effort to build um, internally. And so, but it was a dream state to be in at the end, like towards that end uh, before Quizzip was then acquired. Um, so yeah, long, strong journey of challenges. <laughs> so do, you, do you remember the first time where you had the idea of there should be a pro product there. Like there could be a product in this opportunity and the, the work that we're doing. Like there should be something in this that could be could become a, a startup. That's a great question. Um, so from our perspective, what we did is like, we wanted to optimize this problem from the data quality perspective, but also from the product developer perspective, because ultimately it's the product developers that have to write code to implement analytics events to send them into the database so that the product team is able to answer the questions that they need. Um, and we thought about it, uh, I think like this was super, super early product analytics. Like we were early adopters for product analytics. Um, uh, you know, web analytics has been around for a while, but like all of this changed into like the mobile analytics space and changed from like page use into um, analytics events that was a huge shift that was going on. And like at that point, there wasn't even a lot of resources. There weren't even a lot of resources online about like, how do you define retention and how do you define like conversion funnels and how do you measure things successfully? So I think we were that early in that journey that I think from my perspective, at least my first thought was not Googling a product for how to solve it, like what process yeah. exist. Um, but our perspective was definitely um, like we need to bring the stakeholders together that have this problem and figure out what is the solution for it. And so I think like immediately there, when we started developing these products internally, data products, basically, um, I think that's, that's, that was that trigger, um, even though at that point we didn't necessarily see it as product development, but effectively we were doing inter internal product development of internal tools. So, so, so later, so when you left uh, QuizUp, like what convinced you that, that this was an opportunity worth pursuing? Yeah, that's a great question. So like, <laughs> side note, um, 
uh, when when I um, left QuizUp, I mean, this was like a huge, huge learning opportunity. And I learned so much from this journey. But it was also like so many learn, like uh, so many journeys where you learn a lot. Um, it was also a lot of sort of a lot of challenges. Um, so it was challenging as well, which is exactly what the best learning opportunities are. Um, and I was sort of burned out from the data space after this. I was like, you know, we had, um, there was a company that acquired QuizUp um, and they offered uh, offered me a job as the data scientist there. Okay. Um, and a lot of folks were reaching out also to, you know, ask me to join as a data scientist or a data leader somewhere. Um, and that was a fun time to explore those opportunities. But ultimately, I just really felt like deep inside. I was like, no, I'm not doing anything more in the data space. Like that was my feeling after this. It's just such a mess. Um, and I just envisioned that every time I would have to join a company um, or every time I would join a team in doing this, we would have to just solve all of these challenges again and again and again. Um, and so I was originally just like, or at first I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing more data. Um, then I started a company with a couple of friends from QuizUp. Um, and uh, that was not Avo. It was, a, it was a pre, the predecessor of Avo, or like not related to Avo as, at all. It was gamified micro learning for employees. Um, okay. So it was a B2B SaaS. Um, and the thing there was um, it only took us like five months it was, it was in our fifth month that we shipped a product update to our customers that was based on incorrect data. Okay. And okay. it was so painful to do it. And furthermore, it was so painful to realize that like this would just continue to happen as long as I am a part of any product development team anywhere in the world. <laughs> and I think that was the seed for like, okay, you know, it can, you know, what, what are people doing to solve this? Like not everyone is building all these tools internally. Could that be? Um, and so that was sort of what was going through our minds. Um, so the problem was following you. The problem was following me. <laughs> um, and it was just so painful. And so um, fast forward a few more months of building that product and that company and, uh, we went through like a realization that, you know, that gamified micro learning for employees, that wasn't necessarily our passion. Okay. Um, we, we were doing it more of like a, as a business opportunity type of thing, uh, which is a great reason to do things. But we also had like, we had the understanding that like, you know, when you're building a startup, you're, you're in it for, you know, you might be in it for like 10 years. Um, and so yeah, you wanted to yeah. be something that you're passionate about. Yeah. Um, and so we learned a lot about that pro that sort of on that journey um and with having gone through this again as well with like all of the data quality issues and realizing like we don't have the resources to build all these tools again internally that sort of triggered us to start talking to like hundreds of um uh, our colleagues in the data space and and understanding like what what are people doing to solve this and ultimately, our learnings was like, you know, some of the biggest organizations like Spotify and Airbnb and Twitch and people like that, they had built internal tools for this. But the others, was, the others were really just scrambling. Um, and I think that was, that was um, that learning with our passion for really solving this problem 
um, was sort of the sort of enough to push us into like, okay, let's let's build the the solution to this problem. So you knew there was a problem. You knew you had solved it, or your team had solved it at at, at uh, QuizUp. But you also knew that other companies had found ways to solve it. So between all this, there should be a way to uh, be able to apply a solution to different uh, different organizations. Yes, exactly. Uh, so what would convince, say, the first company that decided to adopt Avil to sign on? I think it's a classic tale of um, your network. Um, I yeah. think, you know, as a, as a B2B founder or as any type of founder, the first thing, your first job is just to find people that will use or try your product uh, and ideally pay for it at some point. Um, and so the first thing is to just, you know, keep hacking away at your network until you uh, find people. And uh, some of the first users of Avo were the people that worked with us at QuizUp, right? Okay. Um, they, they were used to having a solution like that in place um, at a previous workplace. And now they had all gone on to other workplaces and it was a pain. And so they were like, oh, you're solving this? Take my money. <laughs> um, so that was a good initial um, step, you know, going to the people that had seen a solution to this executed well before and seeing us that had already executed the solution before um, do that for them again. Yeah, there's trust. And then it's about just, you know, continuing with the customer discovery journey, right? It's, you know, we already had a lot of, we talked to a lot of people before we decided to go into this. And so we just kept on talking to those. And like, in some cases, they had already had like all of these investments internally. So they're not going to rip and replace that. But we learned a lot from those conversations and they could point us in the next direction and the next direction and the next direction. So it's just, it's, you know, just crunch away, you know? (laughs) So how how wide was the gap between the initial vision and and what your team was selling initially? Like, uh, How did your team go about bridging that gap? So um, when we started Avo, we were very clear on wanting to build a very customer-first organization. And we were also really clear that we wanted to build with our customers and sort of um, not fall into the trap that, you know, so often is preached i mean particularly with like lean the lean concept is you know don't just build somewhere in a hole um and then release it and hope they come or something uh, but actually learn rapidly from from whoever you're building for and building with and so we took that very seriously um and so pretty i was talking about like uh, in the previous question i was talking about how we got our first customers and we got our first customers to try out avo when you know it was just like it was such a hack job (laughs) okay Okay. but there was a Um, there was a product but it was not up to par up to anywhere where you guys were opening it with yeah i mean absolutely not like we were just we we had people using the product I mean, what do they say? Like, if you are not ashamed of yeah. uh, your product right. when you're, yeah, when you're releasing it for the first time, you're releasing too late. Um, and we definitely follow that, followed that religiously. Um, so we had people using Avo very early on, okay. um, and we had like a we had a large vision for what we wanted to solve, right? Um, 
we really wanted to sort of help companies build reliable data. And reliable doesn't only mean just data quality is there. It also means that it has to be relevant data. And so a lot of that vision doesn't only include um, data reliability and sort of confirming that the data structures actually work as expected. It also includes a lot of um, sort of helping people design good data mm. and helping people decide what they should actually measure and um, track. And so uh, our sort of step-by-step step was, okay, we want to help people design good data. We want to help people um, measure the right things um, and sort of be thoughtful in how they are strategizing their product and, and are able to use data to drive that vision. Um, and for that, we, yeah, we have to help people design good data. And so, but what we also knew that was that, you know, even if people, you know, decide good data that they want to measure, it won't mean anything if, if, if it's not reliable, if it's not, um, if it's not, uh, if the data is, if the data isn't um, just correct, if the data is broken all the time. And so we started off really raw with like, um, the first thing we released was about data design. And then we realized, okay, no, the the first thing we have to solve is the foundation of the data quality. And so we started off with like data quality and like it was only for data quality purposes and sort of uh, making sure the implementation of the tracking code was correct. Um, And like that, we're still working towards like a large vision of where we want to be. Um, And um, there's so much still to be uh, done for like reaching that goal, even though we're already solving so many problems for our customers already today. And so our ultimate drive and like our strategy for this is, okay, we have a vision for where we want to get our customers, um, but everything that we release to them in an iterative way has to be has to also solve a specific problem along the way. And so that's how we sort of gradually built that up. Mm. So maybe that ties into the next question. So how does a, a company that works in the analytics space learn from its customers? And maybe how does that differ? You worked in crazy B2C, super fast scaling, and now you're in a bit of a different context where I'm assuming there's not a million uh, people using the platform. So how, how does that also change the way you approach uh, learning from your customers? That's a great question. I think when you are drowning in data, uh, it's easier to use um, quantitative data to discover when you want to dive into into qualitative. I think from my perspective, it's really important to mix those two, qualitative and quantitative. Quantitative meaning, you know, you gather a bunch of data points and then you look at charts and sort of you measure conversion funnels and retentions and things like that. And you segment it and do like... um, uh, you create cohorts of people, like cohorts of people that, you know, a group of people that joined on the same week, um, a group of people that joined on the same week and tried, you know, a specific topic that week or a group of people that joined on a specific week and um, um, won their first game or something like that. So you create all of these cohorts when you're doing quantitative analyses and then qualitative, you have to talk to people. You um, both use things like user interviews and send out surveys. Um, and things like that. And we 
actively do both of those things at Avo and have um, for the entirety of the time. Obviously, the first versions is a very qualitative thing. Um, so we would just use every opportunity that we had to sit with people as they were using the product. Um, we would also try to have a really clear communication, open communication channel with our customers. So they could be reporting on Slack or somewhere um, anytime they were hitting questions or blockers or things like that. And that's really stayed with the team. So I think most of our customers talk about like the Avo team is, you know, we care uh, about them and we're a responsive team. So if you give us feedback, we take that feedback in and we try to act on it. So I think qualitative is really important, but we also measure our quantitative uh, success results and use them to identify opportunities to ask questions, for example, um, and then vice versa. We talk to our customers a lot and then use that opportunity to confirm whether that's a pattern using quantitative data. Okay. So you, you, you had experienced the pains and had done a lot of the work to solve the challenges that Avo is addressing today uh, when you were at QuizUp. So do you feel that an entrepreneur without that expertise, those experience could have identified a similar opportunity. Like what were the advantages of having had those experiences yourself, having experienced the pain and having been in those situations? Yeah, this is a great question. So I think maybe um, two layered. I mean, obviously um, having been a data scientist and um, like running a data team, it gives a perspective on um, how you can use data for product strategy. So that's, You know, that was a part of my experience that I could bring into the toolbox of building Avo. But I think um, sort of the what what you're ultimately asking here, I think, um, is like, <laughs> is it important to have walked in your customer's shoes when you're building a solution for them? Um, yeah. And like, how, how valuable is it to have experienced the pain point that you're actually solving? And I think that is very, um, I think that is very helpful. So if you have not already done that when you're building a product, um, you need to make sure it's a really strong part of your culture um, that you're constantly walking in your customer's shoes. So for example, um, uh, uh, there is one of our customers is, um, is uh, they're, they're building like, um, they're very early in building um, uh tools for Dungeons and Dragons game masters. So it's really okay. nation, really specific. Okay. And obviously you don't necessarily have um, a huge selection of product managers and software developers that um, have experience with that. So what they do is like every Friday, they play Dungeons and Dragons, right? Um, and they experience the pain points that they're trying to solve. I think this is a classic thing. I, I, I just stumbled upon like a post from, um, and I think... Um, He talks about this all the time. Justin Kahn, the founder okay. of Twitch TV. Yes. He talked about like, you know, the er, the first product that he and uh, Michael Seipel and um, the crew behind Twitch, um, what they first built really early was like a calendar app. Okay. Um, they did that before they did Justin TV that later turned into Twitch TV and all that stuff. And what he has talked about and identified, and I relate heavily to, is like, they were college students and calendar management was not a huge pain point for them. Like they, all they had to know is like, when's my next class yeah, <laughs> or something yeah, yeah. Um, while being like a CEO or um, a big a part of a big team or something like that, um, or managing like, you know, there are multiple uses for calendar management, but they weren't maybe power users of those problems. They didn't have those problems. Um, and they've talked about like that, that held them back. Mm. 
So um, to stitch it back to your question, I think like, yes, ultimately that helped a lot um, and allowed us as a team to have deep insights into the actual pains that our customers have. But I think it's also really important um, uh, and I think it can be a trap that people fall into. It's just like, yes, you. it's great to be able to solve your own problem, uh, but you still really need to listen to your customers. Yes, yes. I think interestingly enough with Justin Can is that they kind of stumbled to the same challenge afterwards at their uh, legal company a little later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so maybe as a last question, so uh, how would you advise a new entrepreneur to think about business opportunities? What should he, she uh, be looking for? It's a very broad question, but. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're thinking before people become founders. Uh, yes. If you're thinking back, say when you had uh, left a company that, that had acquired uh, uh, Quizzle, for example, or someone else. Mm-hmm. That you know. Yeah. Um, I think it is very helpful to be close to the problem that you are attempting to solve. So, um, identifying problems to solve for people, it helps a lot if you have some experience with that problem or have at least been pretty close to someone who has been, had that experience. Um, and ultimately, like, I like the perspective that, you know, if you can't get 30, me- 30 meetings um, from people that should have your problem, the problem that you want to solve, where you um, want to talk about the problem and sort of um, get them excited about solving it and, and things like that, then, you know, you, you don't have a problem <laughs> to solve. <laughs> okay. So you're not talk, talking to them about the right thing. Okay. Okay. Great. That's great advice. Uh, yeah. Or like, you know, the, you know, if you can't find at least 30 people to talk about the problem with, then, you know, you probably won't have a market to sell to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a bad start. Let's say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so thanks for taking the time, Stefania. Uh, where can people go to learn more about Avo and your work as well? Yeah, great question. Um, you can go to avo.app to learn more about Avo. I also host a podcast called okay. The Right Track, where I interview um, data leaders or just leaders in data, engineering, and product about building data cultures. Um, and um, that's really fun. That's ultimately a lot, you know, of what my passion lies is, you know, yes, we're building a tool to solve this. Um, but it's a mix of, you know, culture and tooling as well, like, like most things are in building a team. And so that's something that I'm really interested in. And so you can go to the right track.avo.app to learn more about that as well. Lots of great guests. Uh, I will link that with the, the interview. Thank you very much for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs>